Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity, entitled TROP2 ADCs for Metastatic Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer, Setting the Stage for Future Use, is provided by Prova Education. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. The emergence of targeted therapy has shifted in the treatment paradigm for advanced non-small cell lung cancer. Are you as excited as we are to see how trope 2 targeted antibody drug conjugates, or ADCs, can help our patients? This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Benjamin Levy. Here with me for Chapter 1 is Dr. Becca Heist. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me here. So, Becca, let's drive right into a case. We have a 55-year-old patient with advanced metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. She's positive for EGFR and has no relevant identifiable mechanisms of resistance post-TKI. After progression on that tyrosine kinase inhibitor, she receives platinum-based chemotherapy and unfortunately, again, develops disease progression one year later. Dr. Heiss, how would you approach a patient like this? Yeah, so this is a really interesting case. And, you know, we're often faced with this situation, right, where somebody initially has a great response to a TKI, and then they progress. We try platinum chemotherapy, and then there's progression again. You know, I'm always looking to see if I can identify a mechanism of resistance. And as you know, there are multiple mechanisms described, including secondary mutations in EGFR, activation of other pathways, transformation to other histologies. But sometimes we don't find a clear mechanism of resistance. And then we're left just trying to deal with the progression as best as we can. In that setting, of course, there are standard of care treatments that we can do after platinum chemotherapy. And there are also clinical trials where we would test novel agents. And so I think this is a situation that we're faced with often. And when there's not a defined mechanism of resistance, it's hard to know exactly what the right next step is. But clearly, there are some newer agents that I think would be of high interest to look at in this situation. Yeah, great points. I think we can both agree that we're not too enthusiastic about docetaxel, which would probably be the standard of care here. You agree with that, Becca? I would agree with that. You know, docetaxel, of course, is an approved regimen um, post-platinum therapy in advanced lung cancer. But, you know, the response rates are generally quite low. We expect a response rate of about 10%. And although some more patients can get stabilization of disease, in general, we're looking for newer agents because we're not that enthusiastic about how active the drug is. You know, dosi with ramisuramab is another combination that can be considered and response rates are slightly higher with that combination. But again, we're still looking for newer agents in this space and there's a real need for it. Yeah, I think docetaxel or docetaxel plus ramisuramab certainly are options here as standard of care. Becca, is there a role for immunotherapy in this space as a potential therapeutic option in the EGFR-positive patient? So that's a great question. You know, in general, when we've looked at the immunotherapy studies, and there have been various meta-analyses looking at these, if you tease apart the patients who had EGFR in the various, for example, immunotherapy, PD-1, pdl one inhibitor versus chemo studies, you know, the benefit that we saw with IO really did not accrue in the patients with EGFR mutations. My general sense here is that single agent immunotherapy with a PD1 or PDL1 inhibitor is not expected to have much activity, even in the setting of a high PDL1 when there's an EGFR mutation. So let's move to some of the more exciting options potentially coming down the pike. We mentioned docetaxel plus ramucirumab is probably the standard. We mentioned that single agent IO is probably doesn't have a role. 
What's your thoughts on some of the other drugs that are coming down and potentially some data points that we have on these drugs? So antibody drug conjugates, I think, is a class of drugs that everyone's very excited about. And there have been a couple of ADCs that have been investigated in this setting. There's a HER3 ADC. This is patritumab deruxtecan. This is an ADC directed against HER3 attached via a linker to deruxtecan. There was a study that was reported of this drug after EGFR-TKI and other therapies. And in that particular study, there was a response rate that was in, I believe, around the 39% range. And the interesting thing about that drug, of course, is that they saw activity across a range of resistance mechanisms. There are some really nice and interesting data that suggests that there are some newer therapies that could be of benefit in this situation. So, Becca... You did a nice overview of the HER3-directed ADCs specifically for EGFR mutant lung cancer. Are there any other antibody drug conjugates that look promising in this area? Yeah, I think datapotamab deruxtecan is actually a very interesting ADC in this area as well. So this drug, as you know, is an ADC directed to trope 2. And there have been early reports of the activity of this drug in all lung cancer, actually. Some nice activity in unselected non-small cell lung cancer populations. But specifically, there's also been some data in patients with lung cancer who have genomic alterations. So tropion lung 01 is a study that was done in advanced lung cancer with actionable genomic alteration. And in a report in ESMO of last year, some of the early data from that study were presented. And in that particular study, they accrued patients with a variety of alterations. The majority were EGFR. There were also some ALK-ROS-RET alterations included among the alterations there. So I think this TROPE2 ADC is also actually quite an interesting one to think about in this population after they've had TKI and platinum chemotherapy. Yeah, great overview. And we're blessed to have all these new therapies coming down the pipe. Just briefly, Becca, if we back up and this patient didn't have an EGFR mutation, let's say this patient was treated initially with chemo IO, you know, is there a role for these ADCs as second line and an unenriched group of patients? Are there others? Just a very high level overview here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think if this patient did not have an EGFR mutation, then we were looking at what are we to do after platinum IO? You know, here is similar to what we were saying before. Yes, you can use a drug like DOSI or DOSI-RAM, but we are looking for options that are better and that have higher activity. So, you know, TROP2 ADC, datapotamab, the original data were in unselected non-small cell lung cancer. There's nice activity there. I think that's a consideration. I think ADCs in general in this space would be interesting to pursue and have some efficacy. So here I would really looking for, let's go beyond standard of care and look for a clinical trial of some agent that we think might have some activity, because I think there's a huge need to improve how we're doing in this space. Yeah, I always, when I'm talking to fellows who rotate my my clinic, I always say, what's the next line of therapy post-chemo IO? And they wrestle with DOSI or DOSU-RAM, and I say, no, it's a clinical trial. That's really where we're heading now. And I think we'll see some nice head-to-head data. Maybe it'll pan out with ADCs versus docetaxel very soon. So very much looking forward to this. So thank you, Becca. In Chapter 2, I'll be joined by Dr. Peter Eli, a pathologist who will discuss the importance of both immunohistochemistry and next-generation sequencing testing in patients diagnosed with non-small cell lung cancer. Stay tuned. So welcome back. We're going to shift gears from our patient case to focus on immunohistochemistry, or IHC, and next-generation sequencing, NGS. Dr. Peter Eli is joining us for this discussion. Welcome, Peter. Hello, and thanks for having me. 
So Peter, what's the importance of immunohistochemistry and next-generation sequencing testing after a patient is diagnosed with non-small cell lung cancer? Both of those methods can be used to identify targetable alteration. Immunohistochemistry is used to detect PDL1 expression in order to determine eligibility for immunotherapy. And next-generation sequencing or other DNA or RNA-based techniques are used to identify targetable genetic alterations, mutations, indels, and translocations. Yeah, so walk us through a little bit. You get the tissue, and obviously you mentioned that PDL1 needs to be done. It seems like that both DNA and RNA should be done. Are these done at the same time? Are they done sequentially? How does this work? And what do you think the optimal way is for this to work? So immunohistochemistry is using tissue sections, so that's done separately. And in the case of PDL1, the indications are that all non-small cell carcinomas should be tested. In terms of molecular testing, currently the standard at our institution is to test all non-squamous non-small cell carcinomas. And we use a large panel NGS platform, DNA-based platform, to identify molecular alterations. And we also use a fusion panel identifying potential translocations and gene fusion products. Yeah, and I think that we've come a long way in the diagnostic algorithm for patients with non-small cell lung cancer. Clearly, you mentioned that we need tissue to identify these alterations in DNA and RNA-based testing, as well as pdl one testing. How common is it that you don't have enough tissue to do the testing that you need to do? Well, it's fairly common that we have to deal with limited amount of tissue. About 70% of advanced-stage lung cancers are diagnosed on small biopsy or cytology specimen. So unfortunately, in our case, most of the time, we have enough tissue to do some testing, at least the minimum recommended panel to perform on these tissues. But there's great variation in different institutions and in terms of what material you're testing, whether there's sufficient tumor to do all the testing. Yeah, I think it's always a challenge for us to make sure that we're getting enough tissue to do this testing. You know, we've talked about genomic alterations that are important. We've talked about PDL1 as the bona fide biomarker for immunotherapy. There are other IHCs that may or may not be relevant with new drug therapies. One of the new drugs, obviously, is the trope 2 antibody drug conjugate class of drugs we're beginning to look at in clinical trials and are starting to make their way into clinical space. One of the ways that these drugs work is clearly to potentially bind to trope 2 protein on the cell surface and then deliver the warhead. Peter, what's the relevance of trope 2 expression right now in lung cancer? And do you see this playing a role potentially in the future? So we don't know yet. Trope 2 immunohistochemistry has not been used, at least in our institutions, for clinical purposes. Trop2 is a surface glycoprotein that's expressed on the surface of many different adenocarcinomas, including lung adenocarcinomas, actually the majority of them. And it's not expressed or just minimally expressed in benign non-neoplastic tissues. So the fact that it's differentially expressed in tumor cells makes it a potential biomarker. But whether this will be a predictive biomarker, we don't know yet. Yeah, I think we're in a waiting period here to see how this pans out and other predictive biomarkers as well, not just genomic alterations, the NGS and the PDL1, but I think we are still in need of understanding other potential biomarkers to predict both efficacy and lack of efficacy for new drug therapies. This has been great. Thank you, Peter. Next up, we'll be discussing targeting trope 2 in non-small cell lung cancer. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Benjamin Levy, and here with me today is Dr. Rebecca Heist and Dr. Peter Eli. We're discussing trope 2 antibody drug conjugates and setting the stage for their use in advanced stage metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. 
So welcome back. We just covered the importance of immunohistochemistry and next-generation sequencing with Dr. Eli. And now Dr. Becca Heiss is back to discuss targeting trope 2 in non-small cell lung cancer. So Becca, what can you tell us about targeting trope 2 with antibody drug conjugates in lung cancer? Yeah, so this is a really exciting new class of drugs. And the reason why we think about targeting trope 2 is trope 2 is overexpressed in cancer cells. It's expressed in a wide variety of normal human tissue, but it also is highly overexpressed in cancer cells. And so when we think about an antibody drug conjugate, so this is an antibody that attaches to an antigen that it recognizes, and it's attached via a cleavable or non-cleavable linker to a payload that is really the chemotherapy agent. And here, there are a variety of different chemotherapy agents that get attached to the antibody drug conjugate. It's really a way to deliver chemotherapy in a targeted way to cancer cells. And I think this ability to really target the chemotherapy is leading to a lot of excitement and activity in lung cancer and in other cancers as well. Yeah, it's very exciting. I think the mechanism of action is exciting, as you mentioned, to have these three components with a warhead that may selectively deliver the chemotherapy to cancer cells and potentially have a bystander effect. And I think we're learning how to manage these drugs and their tolerability, but more importantly, the efficacy, the preliminary efficacy that we've seen is, is quite exciting. Becca, we have two trope two ADCs that are probably front and center. One is sacatuzumab, Gavitican, which I know you've had experience with. The other is datapotamab, Druxtecan, which I have some experience with. So Becca, what's the current regulatory status of datapotamab, Druxtecan? So datapotamab, Druxtecan is currently not approved for any indication in lung cancer. Yeah, I think we'll hopefully see some data soon that may change that. I look forward to seeing that. I think these drugs are the data about about Druxtecan, and specifically, we'll see some data to support this, but may gain approval at some point in the second line. But we'll have to see how that data shakes out and whether or not it can outperform docetaxel in the second line. Can you talk a little bit about the toxicity management of these TRO2 ADCs? Yeah, sure. And of course, they're a little bit different. So sazituzumab, as you mentioned, is approved in the breast cancer space. And in lung cancer, it does have some activity. There was an early study looking at non-small cell lung cancer, and sazituzumab had a response rate of around 19% or so in lung cancer. And there, the warhead that's attached is a analog of irinotecan. So the toxicities we see are hematologic toxicities. We see some GI toxicities like diarrhea. Datapotamab, another trope to ADC, the warhead is Durextecan, which is slightly different. And the toxicities we see related to that are a little bit different than what we see with SASE. So common toxicities include some fatigue, some nausea, some stomatitis. With stomatitis, there are measures that you can use. For example, I use a fair amount of steroid uh, swish and spits to try to alleviate some of the stomatitis that we see. We see some things like dry eye, which can be quite bothersome to patients. And again, there we work closely with our ophthalmologic colleagues to use various sorts of eye drops to alleviate those toxicities. So there are some idiosyncratic toxicities that we see with these various drugs that have to do with the attached warhead. And there's definitely a learning curve there in terms of managing the side effects that people have. Yeah, I think I'm biased, but I think that the lung cancer community has always been on the leading edge of all these new therapies. 
For these, I, I think we are, again, learning from our colleagues. I agree with you. Stomatitis is an issue, and I think we have reasonable strategies to mitigate stomatitis. As you mentioned, the steroid uh, swish and spit has, at least in our experience, been effective in, in, again, reducing the severity of stomatitis. I think using it preemptively may make sense in future studies and in current use and current studies. So it's very exciting. I think we're moving leaps and bounds with some of these drugs, and we're starting to push the antibody drug conjugates, not only looking up in the second line, but starting to look at that in the first line. I was fortunate to present some of this data at World Lung 2022 in Vienna, the Tropion Lung 2 study, which was a phase 1D study looking at datapotamab druxtecan or datodx plus immunotherapy. There's a lot of rationale to look at the synergy of these two drugs, plus or minus platinum chemotherapy, specifically platinum, either carboplatin or cisplatin. And this was looked at in advanced non-small cell lung cancer. And this study looked at six cohorts. The first two cohorts were looking at a four or six milligram per kilogram dose of datapotamab with pembrolizumab. And then the next four cohorts, three through six, importantly, we're looking at datapotamab plus pembrolizumab plus either carboplatin or cisplatin. So this is the first time we've looked at these antibody drug conjugates with immunotherapy and with platinum. This is the first reports of this and potential outcomes and safety with these drugs. There were roughly 40 patients in the doublet arm and 48 patients in the triplet arm. And these drugs, the doublet or triplet arms, were given either in the treatment refractory setting, but also in the treatment naive setting. And again, this is the first data set we have. The bottom line is, is that response rates were roughly 37% and 41% in the doublet and triplet arm, respectively. But looking in the first line, looking at the doublet arm in the first line, the response rate was 62%. But looking at the triplet arm, the datapotamab, pembrolizumab, either carboplatin or cisplatin, the response rate was 50%. So we'll have to see how this all pans out. Some of these responses were durable and meaningful and ongoing. And we will be increasing our patient population in the study and hopefully presenting it again. We didn't see any new safety signals, and we've talked about safety already. So this is exciting for us and for the trope 2 class of drugs. Again, that's not the only study. Becca, are there other ongoing studies with trope 2 ADCs? Oh, yeah. So it's being looked at in a variety of settings, as you know. So in the first-line setting, or I should say in combination with PD-1 or chemotherapy, as you mentioned, that's some of the early data presented. These TREP2 ADCs are also being looked at in clinical trials in comparison to, for example, docetaxel. So taking a step back, you know, before the first-line set or after the first-line setting, if we can use it in second line or later. So both sasituzumab and debitumab are being compared to docetaxel. So I think that'll be interesting to see if either of these TREP2 ADCs can actually do better than doce, because we're always looking for something that would be more effective than docetaxel in the post-platinum IV space. There are also studies looking at the trope 2 ADCs in specific populations with actionable genomic alterations. So again, there, even though patients have a variety of TKI options, there's always room for more drugs because at some point people progress through the available TKIs. And so that's another interesting area where these drugs are being studied. So I think in the next several years, we'll see a lot of data come out and we'll understand more about how best to use these. Yeah, great overview, Becca. I think we are seeing what I call the ADC blitz in non-small cell lung cancer, similar to the IO blitz that happened maybe, immunotherapy blitz that happened maybe four or five years ago, where we're starting to see these competing trials, these drugs that may work very differently. You know, you mentioned the trope 2 ADCs. There's CCAM5 directed ADCs, drugs like tusimidumab, riptancine that are being looked at in both first line and second line. 
There's telucetuzumab, which is a MET-directed antibody drug conjugate that's, again, looking potentially in the second line, specifically for MET-positive patients. And we talked about this before, Petrutamab Druxtecan, this HER3 antibody drug conjugate that's also being looked at in the EGFR mutant lung cancer space. So it's going to be tough to keep up with all this stuff. And then, as you mentioned, Becca, the first line, looking at these ADCs in the first line, one study that I'm fortunate to lead will be this Tropion Lung 8 study, looking at datapodamab plus pembrolizumab versus pembrolizumab alone for those patients with a PDL1 greater than 50, asking the question, can we add datapodamab to pembro and achieve a better outcome and potentially reasonable safety versus pembro alone? We'll see where this goes and whether there'll be a role here or not. I think we have to really look at meaningful improvement here. Are we improving longevity at the same time, not sacrificing a quality of life or tolerability? So a very exciting time. Becca, your final thoughts on where we're heading with these drugs? Is there a potential role in the adjuvant space, the neoadjuvant space? Are there biomarkers that may help us predict for efficacy of these drugs? Where, where are we heading here? Yeah, so Ben, as you say, it's a really exciting time with ADCs, and it's a little bit hard to know exactly where things will pan out. As I think about it, I think there are a couple of things. One, it would be great if there were some biomarker where we could pre-select or highly select patients who are more likely to benefit. For example, TROP2 ADCs, TROP2 expression itself hasn't correlated with response. And that may just have to do with the fact that so many cancers overexpress and highly express TROP2. But if there were some other biomarker that could predict who would be most likely to respond, I think that would be a great addition to the field. And that's an area of really high interest and high activity right now as well. You know, it seems to me that these drugs in their preliminary signals of activity do have some really interesting activity. And at some point, whether it's in the first line setting incorporated in some regimen or in second line or later settings, it seems to me that we're going to see more and more of these ADCs and TROP2 ADCs in particular being used, it seems likely to me. And then, of course, when we see activity in the metastatic setting, we are always thinking, can we move that up into the adjuvant or neoadjuvant space? Can we select patients in that space who would be most likely to benefit? And there, I think it's where the biomarkers are going to be most important. And as you said, can we devise a regimen that would have high efficacy and also maintain excellent quality of life? And so I think all of those areas are going to be explored and we'll have more and more answers as the years go on. Yeah, I think it's going to mirror sort of the IO or immunotherapy experience where we throw spaghetti on a wall and see what sticks. That's what's happened a lot with immunotherapy combinations. And I think we're going to see that. That's not a bad thing. I think, you know, we learn a lot sometimes about these drugs when we look at them in combination and then try to figure out on the back end why that combination worked, which is sort of in reverse to what we usually do in lung cancer. We try to figure out how these therapies work and then leverage them in a specific space. I think in this setting, we're not really sure how these drugs work sometimes and combinations need to be looked at and we'll see what sticks and then work backwards to see why this worked and how to leverage it in our clinic. Well, this has certainly been a fascinating conversation and let me just summarize by saying, one, we are really moving this field forward with a lot of different therapies. And, and I think the antibody drug conjugates are certainly front and center. And my guess is they will gain approval in the near future. You know, despite that, I think there's a long way to go. I think we need to learn how these drugs work a little bit better than we know now. I think we need to look at combination approaches or looking at these drugs in different settings. 
I look forward to potentially seeing these drugs leveraged in earlier stage disease at some point, either in combination with immunotherapy or chemotherapy. I also look forward to seeing these drugs being pushed into the front line, and hopefully we'll see some exciting data there. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. So I want to thank our audience for listening in and thank Dr. Becca Heist and Dr. Peter Eli for joining me and for sharing all of their valuable insights. It was great speaking with you today, Becca. It was great to be here, Ben. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Prova Education. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, Go to 